V1. Pull up. Pull up. Pull up. Terrain. Terrain. Pull up. Terrain. Welcome to the Flight Safety Detectives. Hosts John Golia and Greg Fife, two of the world's most respected aviation safety experts, talk all things related to aviation and aerospace. This podcast and the Flight Safety Detectives YouTube channel are brought to you by the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, PAMA, and Avemco Insurance, a world-class provider of aviation insurance and your one-stop for all general aviation insurance needs. Get a customized quote at avemco.com or give them a call at 888-879-0389. Tell them you're a listener of the show and receive a 5% discount. Now it's time to buckle up because it's wheels up for the latest episode of Flight Safety Detectives. Well, hello, Todd. Hello there, John. Glad to see your smiling face again. Even though we're in the same town, we're not in the, I mean, same area, we're not in the same town. Uh, and I guess you're not flying today. Oh, not flying today. We're supposed to fly yesterday. Weather closed in. Tomorrow's looking much better. All right. So we got an accident here that uh, uh, involving a Cessna 172 and a Sea Ray, which is a, uh, is it a home built? It's a home built uh, pusher prop behind the uh, high wing of the aircraft. And we'll yeah. be having a, a photo of uh, this accident aircraft for those of you watching the video. Okay, so this airplane was, was these two airplanes were flying uh, VFI conditions. It was a flight for the Experimental Aircraft Association, EAA's uh, Eagle program, Young Eagles program, where they bring young people up and uh, let them fly the airplane at altitude, give them a taste of uh, general aviation and try to in incite them or infect them, I like to say, sometimes with aviation, because once you're infected, you can never leave this field. Uh, you're a good example of that. You got, you, you got into it and you got out, and now you're going back to get in again. Just when I thought it was out, it pulls me back in. Yep. Yep. Without a doubt. All right. So this air, these two airplanes were involved in a mid-air collision. So they were, they were supposed to leave the Lancaster, New York airport, and they're flying one student each, and they have a closed course that EAA has where they would fly east from the airport uh, approximately 10 miles, climbing to an altitude of approximately uh, 1,800 feet, and they would go out and make a couple of right turns and come back on a parallel course to the airport and land. So it's, uh, it was a, a pretty benign course. Uh, wasn't a lot of traffic around, except the two airplanes had a speed difference. And the Cessna was second to take off. So he was going to overtake the Sea Ray. And that's probably the first thing that they should have thought about when they were running this, was try to stagger them in such a way that you wouldn't have one overrunning the other. But in any event, the airplane was uneventful, un uneventful until they turned for home. And they're in the final coming into the airport. And 
the Cessna then overtook the Sea Ray and chopped into it, doing substantial damage to the airplane. And it, uh, it lost control. But fortunately, and it doesn't, the reports or any of the information we were able to pull up, it's not clear exactly how, but the, this captain, well, this pilot, who, had, who was commercially rated with about uh, 8,000 hours, uh, he was able to get the airplane down in some scrub brush. And, and we'll talk about that, about his decision-making in a moment. But he was able to get it down and both he and his passenger walk away. Unfortunately, the other airplane that uh, it had its prop damaged as the overtaking airplane uh, stalled and spiraled out of control. And, uh, and those two people were fatally injured. So there's a lot of issues here to, to uh, talk about. I just touched on the one. Uh, what kind? What kind of issues did you notice, Todd? Well, the one that really jumped out at me was the uh, trying to find another aircraft in a pattern that was lower than your altitude, because that literally was a situation I faced the last time I flew. Uh, we didn't come close to uh, running into each other, but even though we had air traffic control telling us, "Hey, you're both on on base for runway three five. He's so many hundreds of feet below you and about a mile and a half, two miles ahead of you. We were looking hard. My instructor and I were both looking hard for this airplane. It took us a while to pick it out. It was almost at the point where this airplane was turning to final that we finally picked it out of the clutter. But this was an aircraft bigger than the Sea Ray and at a not that great a distance from where we were. And it's hard to pick it out. And it was a nice, uh, clear day. So this is one of the difficulties, which I emphasize to anybody who flies, uh, see and avoid other traffic. You hear that all the time. And it's not as easy as you would think, especially when you think, oh, this airplane isn't that far away. It shouldn't be that hard to find, but sometimes it is. Yes, and that's the fallacy of see and avoid. I know uh, while I was at the board and, and subsequent, we've had a lot of discussion about uh, the responsibility for drone pilots with see and avoid. And in virtually every single program that I end with, I end with a statement about put your head on a swivel and put it around, especially in and around the airport. A lot of, a lot of uh, new pilots out there, although these two guys didn't fit that bill, uh, but there is a lot of new pilots flying around airports and you need to, to pay attention because it doesn't matter whose fault it is. If there's a collision, and the outcome is not always as good as this one. Usually it's just the opposite. So it was, uh, it was interesting. We're going to talk about the Sea Ray in a minute. But uh, let's talk about the Cessna on that. So he's, this airplane below him, so you, right off the bat, you have poor visibility because the front of the airplane is in the way. And the prop as well, you know. Yeah, you know. Everybody thinks you can see through the prop nice. Well, yes, you can see through the prop, but not nice. It's not clear. It can actually uh, obscure your vision, even though you can see through it. It, it can take certain uh, bits of information and make them so that you can't recognize it. So it, uh, 
it begs the question of making sure that you pay attention to what's going on around you. Now, they were both on the same frequency. That EAA required that. They both had their own transponders set to a discrete frequency that was assigned to them. So if they had any, you know, the level of electronics on their airplane may have been able to help them. This was 14. So they probably had none of that in 2014. So things have changed now. It was an untowered airport, which is where this uh, event took place. Even if you had someone in the tower, it doesn't mean that they would have been able to see the aircraft. But without a tower, without an air traffic controller there, you didn't have the possibility of that being a uh, safety measure to keep the pilots from hitting each other. Right. They did show up on radar uh, at Buffalo. And they had uh, all the radar tracking data, which the NTSB used in the accident report. But they were not in contact with the tower. You know, like I, I mentioned a minute ago, they were flying essentially a closed course with a fixed pack pattern around the airport just to give the, the young eagles the, the feel for flying. They were going slow. The Cessna was, uh, was it going at 90 knots? Going at 90. Yeah, and the other air, the Sea Ray was going at 70. So it was a slow takeover, uh, presumably. But they're coming down from above, so who knows? And a Cessna is one of the slower general aviation, the Cessna 172 is one of the slower general aviation aircraft out there. But the Sea Ray was uh, even slower than that. And it wasn't made clear in either the uh, accident report or in the public docket information whether or not the uh, pilots were familiar with each other's uh, capabilities. Certainly, uh, the C-Ray pilot would probably have been aware of Cessna 172 capabilities, but I'm not sure that even this uh, very experienced pilot in the 172 would have been that familiar with this kind of aircraft. Uh, there was nothing in the documentation that stated whether or not they had flown in the same kind of situation before, whether this was not their first uh, go-around with working with this program or their first go-around flying in each other's vicinity. But again, with uh, there's no telling what was going on in either cockpit either. We have, obviously, the survivors from the Sea Ray. There were no survivors in the Cessna. So it's unclear and no record of whether there was any distraction or any other thing going on in the Cessna that might have kept the pilot from seeing the other aircraft. Yeah, in fact, the young, the young lady in the, that survived uh, gave the very good account of sequence of events. She actually saw the airplane coming. She says she recognized it, that he was going to hit them. She tried to uh, alert the uh, pilot, but it just happened too quick and she didn't have an opportunity to. And as John mentioned before, in the 172, you have uh, things that are blocking your visibility below. And according to the accident report, the sea ray was in front, was a couple of hundred feet below and was descending at first, so was assessment. But right before impact, the sea ray was ascending while the assessment was still descending. Yeah, and the, uh, they actually, the NTSB actually did a, a uh, visibility study on this, and they, and they concluded as well that it was very difficult for the Cessna pilot to observe visually 
to see right. Yeah, a lot of factors in in seeing a void. And uh, I often I often believed in the past that we were holding the drone operators to a, to the wrong standard because uh, the FAA said you got to have seeing a void. You got to have seeing a void when we know how how limited it is with general aviation already. So we really need another way. Well, we have it in, we have it with the TCAS for bigger airplanes. Someday, maybe the cost will come down low enough that we can have it in all airplanes. All right, so I mentioned the two pilots, one with 4,000 hours, the other with 8,000 hours. Uh, the probable cause, needless to say, is uh, failure to see and avoid. I mean, it's pretty simple probable cause, but I think there could have been some additional uh, findings involved in something like this. You know, one is when you're having multiple airplanes flying the same course, what was the preparation like? It doesn't mention it at all in the report. But uh, as we, we just uh, talked about a few minutes ago, you know, if you know you have a fast airplane, then he should be the one taking the lead. You don't want the slow airplane being overtaken if you can avoid it. They only mention these two airplanes in this, at this location at this time. So I'm, I'm going to assume, and we know what that does to you. <laughs> But I'm going to assume that that's all there was, so that uh, they should have taken that into consideration. Get the faster guy out of the way. Don't and while we're, while we're talking about the accident as a whole, we can't ignore the fact that the context of why they were there in the first place. These are pilots who are part of an organization that very much emphasizes aviation as a positive thing and go out of their way as an organization and as individual pilots to introduce young people to aviation. Now, John and I have our own origin stories with aviation, but it usually involves, you know, usually the kid having a high, high interest in something that in most cases, the parents may not have that interest or they may not be in that profession or even close to it. But uh, they hear about a program like this and it's like, oh my, you mean I can actually go up in an airplane for real? I don't have to pay for it? You know, what kid who's infatuated with aviation would want to jump all over that? And what pilot who is in favor of promoting aviation wouldn't go out of their way if they had the opportunity to get involved. And the EAA has very uh, specific requirements, fairly general requirements for someone to be a pilot in this. And both of these pilots well exceeded that with respect to their ratings, uh, the time flying, although um, I don't believe, uh, well, actually there was a, information in the accident report that showed that these pilots were well in excess of the requirements for recency when it comes to being in this program. So I can't fault the organization for having low standards. Those are adequate standards. Uh, this is not also the first time that uh, this has happened with the Young Eagles. We're not going to go into it in this uh, show at all. But one of the things we like to do whenever we look at a particular kind of accident has this happened before? And just like in one of our earlier shows, we did a search of the um, NTSB database to see if there is anything that had young eagles mentioned in the narrative. Uh, and there were several events that, that did have that and other events that we know of that didn't mention young eagles, but were a young eagles related event. So another general issue is 
is it safe to fly in the young eagles program? This isn't something for the children. It's something for the adults who are their parents and guardians, because they're the ones who are responsible for making the decision. And to be quite frank, any kind of activity when you're flying is not risk-free. Just about all the activities are safe. Now, what is safe is like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. The fact is, this is an event where two children who were getting introduced to aviation were involved in an accident. One of them didn't survive. And there is nothing in there that says whether or not there were any long-term psychological or other issues with the person who did survive. That's not a good thing, no matter how you look at it. But looking at it in the context of all the hundreds of thousands of flights, I believe EA said there's been more than a million um, flights involving uh, young eagles. And this is one of, I believe, uh, there might have been one other fatal event, but uh, those are rare events. Is it higher than what you would expect for that many general aviation flights? That's a complex question, but really, if you're a parent or a guardian, you don't care about the statistics. One statistic you care about is that child. You want a 100% chance of the child going to the airport and coming home. And I'm not going to sit here and guarantee that's going to happen because simply it's not, because we have proof of that with at least one of these events happening. But think of all the things you do with a child as a child is growing up, all the things you introduce them to. Sometimes you do it, you know, biting your lower lip and putting on a game face and letting them go out there and do something, whether it's playing soccer or what have you, or traveling on a, on a road trip with their school going far away. Something that might make you nervous as, as can be, but something that you say to yourself, yes, this isn't a normal day at the beach, but this is something I'm going to allow my child to do. So having apprehension, not a bad thing. Having second thoughts, not a bad thing. Taking action on those thoughts, not a bad thing either. Let's say in a situation, let's say you had a situation with a child who wanted to do a young eagle slide. You say, yes, I'll sign off the release. You go to the airport, you get out the car, you walk around, you look at the people who are running the organization, you look at the people who your child might be flying with. If your gut says no, then say no and turn around. If your gut says yes, allow it to happen. Uh, all I'm saying is that this is a special program. This is a unique opportunity. It's one where you as the parent or guardian has a role and embrace that role. That's all I'm saying. Yes. You know, as you're talking through all that, I'm thinking about uh, my experience, even though it was eons ago and uh, how my, my parents were the ones that got me to start to be interested in flying. But then uh, both my parents worked, and I would get my own way out to the airport and be flying with anybody who would let me fly with them. So, you know, while well, I was scraping together enough money to try to get my next lesson. And, uh, you know, I must, have, I must have driven them crazy. Well, in my case, uh, I knew my mother especially be driven crazy if she knew what, when I, that I was flying, so... I didn't tell her I was flying until after I'd had some experience flying. And it's like, oh, you know, I've done this a few times. I'm feeling better about it. Yes, she's still freaked out. But uh, at that point, she really couldn't control me when it came to my uh, flying, my desire to fly. 
Yeah, what kids do to parents. <laughs> Don't we both know that? Oh, yeah. No, let's not even get into that. <laughs> okay, we're going we're gonna to pursue this, uh, this uh, type of accident, again, since we found several uh, in the reports, and we think there's some value to all of us out there, both the parents, both the, even the students, if they're a little older than these young eagles, and also uh, every pilot. You got to pay attention to everything around you. You know, good pre-planning. Could could that have been picked up with a good good session of pre-planning? We're going to have a, a second airplane flying the exact same uh, course, but he's faster than I am. Uh, maybe it's not required, but maybe a little thinking out of the box might have been able to catch that. Well, we've kicked that around enough, I think. Uh, and I'll get taught. I'll give you the last word. Well, uh, this time I'm not going to take credit for the last word because uh, we had one of our listeners, a gentleman named Ivan, former military aviator, who told us a story that was very much relevant to what we're talking about today. Uh, he has a couple of kids and one of them very interested in an aviation career. Yeah, I mean, he's only eight at the time. And he said already back then he wanted to be an Army Special Operations pilot. And uh, he had rented a, uh, a plane to do some night currency and had his eight-year-old in the front, had his own headset, had his own checklist. He was totally into it. He has an older son in the back who's got some issues with, uh, with flying, doesn't like it that much, but he was, you know, with the, uh, his brother and his father. They take off and they hear an unusual noise. And it's a minor thing. Apparently, one of the latches was loose and there was all sorts of unusual noises going on. The eight-year-old in front, you know, recognized what was going on, uh, gave a quick assessment of what was helped his father out with respect to landing the airplane. And they landed the airplane and everything was okay. But here is this sort of thing that the Young Eagles does, did, and still does, that this parent is doing ongoing with his children. And there are many parents who are like that, folks who have an interest in aviation, background in aviation, use every opportunity to introduce their children to the lifestyle and the uh, profession that they do. And in this case, um, this was a potentially stressful situation that turned out very well, uh, especially because the parent who was flying was very much on the ball, landed the aircraft, everything was okay. Both of the boys have a story to tell. And certainly the kid in front who wants to be an Army Special Operations pilot, I'm thinking, this guy, this is one of his highlights of his life. And the kid who had some apprehension about flying, I would hope that things are better there as well, because this was an apprehensive moment. His father dealt with it, and they all walked away. So uh, to Ivan, thank you very much for uh, sending that in. And, uh, you know, if anyone else out there has uh, stories to tell about their flying experience or comments about our show, by all means, do so. Okay. Well, you know, one of the things we didn't mention during the show that I was impressed with is EAA has a separate insurance policy for all the young eagles on their flights. Uh, and you just raised an issue, uh, the, uh, Rita raised the issue about renting the airplanes. So if you're, if you're a pilot, either student or private pilot, whatever rating you have, and you rent an airplane, uh, you definitely need to have renter's insurance. You know, it's not all that expensive. 
In fact, if you go to Avemco, our sponsor, you can get a 5% discount just by uh, mentioning the show, but you definitely should have renter's insurance on your airplane. And with that, uh, again, I'm not going to go through my big long spiel that I usually do. All right. If you're going to go flying, do a good session of pre-planning. We just picked up a bullet on this one that uh, you should do if you're flying in a group activity. In fact, I just noticed that the, uh, within the last week or two, the Aero Club that I'm a member of uh, actually had a group activity with everybody leaving from a given point and uh, joining up to fly to a, another given point. So, and I know some of those airplanes, the difference in speed in those airplanes uh, is a lot more than 20 knots like this, this uh, event was. So you got to think about that and pre-plan for it and do a, a very thorough pre-flight of your airplane. And then when you get into the airplane and off the ground, put that head on a swivel, listen to that radio, understand what's going on around you. You know, the, the job is a full-time job being a pilot, not a part-time. You don't going to sit back and, and relax. It's not a commercial airline where everything is controlled for you. You are it, and you need to pay maximum attention to everything you're doing. And with that, I will say, please fly safely. To listen or watch more episodes of this show, go to FlightSafetyDetectives.com, the Flight Safety Detectives YouTube channel, or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. To contact John and Greg about the show, send them an email at FlightSafetyDetectives at gmail.com. And remember, for aviation insurance needs, contact Avemco Insurance at avemco.com or give them a call at 888-879-0389. Mention Flight Safety Detectives and receive a 5% discount. Thanks for listening to the Flight Safety Detectives and remember to always fly safe.